This is the Action for Wellness podcast, where we discuss small changes that will greatly improve your life, health, relationships, and well-being. Hosted by naturopath Maya Harish and parenting consultant Nava Abraham. This is the Action for Wellness podcast, episode 17. And today, we've got a really special guest, author Jamie Michaels, author slash firefighter slash eternal student slash master of the universe. Definitely the last one. (laughs) Jamie, we told you, we gave you a a minute's warning that we start the episode with one cool thing that happened this week. Nava. Absolutely. All right. Um, my cool thing is that this morning I was way too tired to get out of bed in the morning when the alarm clock went off, and I accidentally switched it off. And my three of my kids, the three oldest ones, the six-year-old, the nearly five-year-old, and the nearly three-year-old, uh, got up on their own and decided to make their own lunches for school. Oh, that's really cute. It was unbelievable. I, I sort of heard them vaguely in the kitchen doing stuff. And my six-year-old was being, I mean, literally they were like cutting and peeling vegetables and fruits and they were making their own sandwiches. That's the impressive part, that they were making sandwiches and it wasn't like chocolate. It, was, it wasn't they they vegetables. Had, no, no, no. They had peanut butter. Two of them had peanut butter and one of them had like cold cuts or something. But they also sliced and peeled cucumbers and pears for each of them. Nice. So I thought that was really cool, and I want to get used to that. And then none of them died, and there was no blood. <laughs> that's so that's a really part. cool part. Yes. That's a huge victory. That is a massive victory. I agree. <laughs> so that's my cool thing for the week. Jamie? Well, I've had a pretty wild week here in uh, wonderful Winnipeg, but I think my highlight of the week is I've been working on a graphic novel, and we just started to launch it through Kickstarter. We need this terrific reception and the, uh, the free press here picked up on it and just did a little article on us. So I'm feeling kind of that positive community support. That's really cool. That is awesome. We'll, we'll get back to your Kickstarter book because that's a great story and we want to promote that. But uh, the fact that, you got, that, that it got picked up by the press, that's really cool. And just count the blessings over here. Definitely. Nice. One yeah. cool thing that happened to me this week is that I was attacked by a giant spider and he didn't kill me. Result <laughs> oh, yes. of on that one, how big was the spider? It was like as big as my fist. It was, it was so big that when I saw it, I was like, is that a spider or a mouse? Oh my goodness. And you may or may not know this about me, but spiders, they don't like me. I have been bitten by at least half a dozen poisonous spiders. Half a dozen. At least. Honestly, I don't think there are very many spiders that have crossed my sister's path and not bitten her. I've never even seen a poisonous spider. Yeah, you didn't even know that was possible, did you? <laughs> I'm learning a lot today. Don't poison the spiders too. Just any random spider will bite her. This yeah. has happened. Honestly, it's, it happens enough for me to feel, and I've never had a problem or an issue with spiders, but it's so bad with her that I, like... I'm uncomfortable in presence of spiders just because I don't want them to find out that I'm her sister. You don't want to get the bites by association. Nope. Exactly. No, thank you. I've never been bitten by a spider. I'm not planning on starting that soon. Funny thing <laughs> is, I was able to survive in Australia not being bitten by spiders. But practically everywhere else I've been, I've been bitten by spiders. That's mental. And 
this giant monster attacked me in my own home. And Attac- okay, it didn't attack you; it walked past you. Yes. Same. <laughs> uh, let's get things straight. I do have to confess. Um, when you called me hysterically yesterday, saying, "Never come quick! I need your help! You need to save me!" and I came running up the stairs to you know to save you. And on the way, I was like, "What happened?" And you said, "There's a massive spider in the house." You know, <clears throat> we've done this before. It's never really been a big spider, but this was also the first time that you said it was a huge spider, and it actually, truly, objectively, was a huge spider. <laughs> a big spider. But the point is, he didn't bite me, and I'm still alive. So that is fairly cool in my books. The start of a great week. Yes, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> okay, so um, for those of us who, for those of the listeners who don't know Jamie as well as we do, those poor souls. <laughs> How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, okay. I'll give you my Coles Notes uh, biography here. I'm a Winnipeg's best professional Jewish cage fighter, potentially Alberta's worst helicopter firefighter, <laughs> and I'm a pretty good writer of graphic novels. The first one of which, Canoe Boys, came out, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah, so it was released officially in March of this year, so I think we're still in the first year of the release. It's been doing wow. fantastic. We did over $10,000 in pre-sale, which was pretty wild for the first book. And we've been kind of riding, fun riding the wave on that. And it's uh, we had a great book launch in Toronto, a great book launch in Winnipeg, like 150 people standing room only out the door of the bookstore. So we just want to keep that momentum up, keep making real stories for uh, real people. So the first book, Canoe Boys, is about that time when you decided you were going to take your canoe and go from Winnipeg to Mexico. Yeah, I, I hate to spoil the book for anybody who's listening on the podcast, but it's actually quite faster if you fly. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert on that one. Yeah, um, but you actually did this. How old were you when you did this? Yeah, I was 21 when I went on this trip, but... Uh, my lawyer advises me to uh, inform anyone listening that this graphic novel and the trip are completely different and the book is entirely fictional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good lawyer advice. Absolutely. Do not try this at home, kids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the thing is um, that I was always blown away by was that I remember you at 17 years old telling me that you wanted to do this, that you had this plan. Yeah. And, you know, um, 17-year-old kids often, you know, have a lot of ideas in their mind of things that they want to do. And things, you know, on the same scale as getting in a canoe in Winnipeg and taking it down to Cancun or wherever in Mexico is one of those ideas that you could have and think is absolutely awesome and never, ever do it. Never, like, actually think about making it a reality. And you just did. Well, you know what they say, it's risky to have a big mouth and it's risky to have convictions, but if you've got a big mouth and convictions, that's dangerous. So if you say you're going to do it, I think if you really want to fall through, you just got to take the chance. And like, there's no time like the present for anything you're doing. And you're definitely one of the most impressively just do it people I've ever met. Well, you know, life's, uh, life's too short not to start working on these uh, obituaries early. 
like the, the full backside of the paper. I mean, you're, you're very humorous about it, but at the end of the day, you know, you'll say all these cliches, but you stand behind them. You actually do them. I mean, all these life's too short things, all these, you know, if you say it, you've got to back it up. It's easy to say that. That's the talk is, you know, people do that all the oh, time. But you actually do the things you think about. Like for you, there's no glass ceiling, so to speak. Is yes, for sure. And I think it's just because I'm very experientially motivated. Like you can't really know how a good day feels until you've had a bad day. And I think that a lot of our lives are defined by those extremes, like trying these things out, having that risk. You really really appreciate the sunshine when you spend some time in the rain. So this is all because you live in Winnipeg. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to experience some of the finer things in life. Noah, I think it's just that I've been lucky in my life to have a lot of these opportunities. I feel able to trick uh, some of my more gullible friends into joining me on them. And uh, I wouldn't trade any of them. It's been been really like a fortunate thing to have been able to do. I have to say, I, I look up to you in that respect so much because... I like to think of myself as a person who does what she speaks of, but you are on a completely another level. Well, yeah, you probably have some more common sense than I do. Um, maybe. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) I'm not sure about that. No, but I'll tell you what it is. I will see things as, you know, I would love to do that. Oh, but that's, it's a dream that, you know, I don't, I don't think that could actually happen. And I do even have that as a, as a notion that can't happen. I don't, I don't think that there's anything that you can imagine that's prohibited from you, but I think that there's, there's a, a cost to play always, and people are often daunted by that cost. So I think that most people, not everyone, but most people, let's say, could become a doctor, but for some people that are more scientifically inclined, they're more academically gifted, that process is easier. If I wanted to become a doctor, I'd have to sing some very serious hours where it might be an easier road for some people. But I think there's kind of a value to that rocky road. So I think most people could probably tackle these same things that they're working towards, that they're imagining, but it's, it's being willing to pay that sunk cost, right? So you're willing to pay the price to follow through. Right. And I think that that initially is scary because you're not exactly sure what the price is before you start. That's so often the case. That's exactly it. In most cases, you don't really know what the price is going to be. Yeah, I'm like that one asshole that sees like that thing on the menu and it says market price. It's like, you know, hamburger 15, salad 7. Oh, chef special, market price. And I'm like, fuck it, let's go. That's something that sort of for me, for me as somebody who consistently overthinks literally everything, I wish I had more of. And I always hope that whenever I see you, I'm like, oh, can, can some of that just rub off a little bit? <laughs> Do you think that that's something that you can develop or is that like a born trait? I think that you can develop anything you want to spend time working on. And I think that it's also kind of like pushing your boundaries a little bit. Like a lot of the things that I've experienced, it's been like a sliding scale. So when I was doing this canoe trip down to Mexico, I would often find myself in these unpredictable situations. Like we, uh, we were passed by a speedboat and it knocked our canoe into a submerged post. And it cracked the hull. So we could see water was slowly starting to seep in. And we were around Memphis. And we saw this sign uh, off the Mississippi River for a yacht club. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to pull in here at the yacht club. We're going to bank on us being so ridiculous and disheveled and having beards from being in a canoe for four months. That they're going to take pity on us. They're going to give us a stall for our broken canoe at the yacht club. And maybe they'll help us fix it. 
because you have no choice in that situation, you have to push that envelope. So I did something there that maybe it wouldn't do otherwise. And then it's, oh, these guys, they're completely wild. We're going to let them stay here at the yacht club in the laundry room. And then it's like, we're going to find them some epoxy for their canoe. So now we're these three weird guys living in a laundry room, trying to fix a canoe at a yacht club. People are coming back from these expensive, you know, vacations in their yachts. And we're making macaroni and cheese on a fire on the dock, you know? So it's kind of having those weird experiences at that young age that you build off of, but it's, you're never too old to have a weird experience. Especially not if anyone's ever around you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm for weird experiences the same way you are for spiders. <laughs> Can we trade, please? <laughs> I don't know if I would survive that experience. You might be braver than me on that front. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, there's something about your outlook on things that I find I mean I remember when I was living in New York and you came down for um you had that competition right yeah um you sorry that competition was a world championship in something the Naga world grappling championships in New York yeah you were 17 or I'm just under 17 17 yeah okay you came to New York you came together with a friend who was also competing yeah. And I remember the morning of the competition, he sort of got up at 4 a.m. and left my flat to go run off some weight or something. Okay, yeah. And I asked you if you were going to do the same. And you were like, no, why would I do that? And I was like, I don't know. Is that what you guys do? I mean, and you just said very, very simply, you said, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. And if I have to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning so that I can run off you know, a few extra, like a kilo or whatever, it's yeah. not going to be fun anymore. Yeah. But in competitive sports, that is so rare. That is such a rare approach. I mean, people so get caught up in it. They get caught up in the need to win at, at all costs. And you just, you just weren't there. You still won though. And that's the thing. He went, <laughs> he went off to this thing and I was like, I love his approach, but you know, I don't know if this is, I don't know if he's going to win, you know, whatever. And you come back with a freaking samurai sword sticking out of your bag saying, yeah, I won first place. Great looks on the subway on the way back to your place with that. <laughs> and you were so nonchalant about it. You were just like, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, you were excited about the blue, the massive blue samurai sword, which I was super excited about, but you were just like, oh yeah. So I, yeah, I just, I won. And I was like, what do you mean you won? Yeah, I'm the world champion. <laughs> and you yeah. were just... Go ahead, yeah. But just that outlook on life, that people don't understand that if you enjoy it, there's so much more value in it. And you can be so much better by simply allowing yourself to enjoy it. Yeah, and I'm trying to, as I age, kind of find that enjoyment as well and combine that process with also hard work. Like sometimes you just have to go in and make the most of it and let it be joyful. And sometimes like life will throw you obstacles or challenges where you, you just need to smash them and overcome them. But I think the trick is to look at it as a burden or looking at it as like an opportunity to like try new things, get your hands dirty and just enjoy it, you know? I had a, a great photograph of last year after a fire season um, this guy was working a chainsaw and he dropped like a 35 foot tall uh, poplar tree on me. Kind of like pulled me into the ground. I was sprinting out of the way of it, dived out of the way. It still caught me, just the end of me. 
and it kind of like drove me like a hammer drives a nail into the dirt, you know? And there's a great photograph of me in the hospital, big smile, thumbs up. And the nurse said, why are you smiling? What's the joke here? And it's telling her like, now I know that I'll never stand closer than 35 feet to this guy when he's holding a chainsaw. <laughs> Let's it's, know. It's, it's a tough lesson to learn, but I mean, this, you got to find joy in the small moments. That's, again, one of those things that could only happen to Jamie. I think that if there's one thing listeners can really take away from hearing you speak is that if you decide to have a positive attitude, you can. Absolutely. And also, never waste a good crisis. Never waste a good crisis. I love that. Yeah, I still don't remember who said that originally. I don't know, but you need to find a new quote the next the next episode. No, no, but this was this was <laughs> come on, this was this was called cool. So okay, so right now you've got a Kickstarter going on yep. for your newest book, Christy Pitts. Christy Pitts. So I backed it a while ago. Big thank you everyone. I'm really excited to see that loads more people have backed it since. I think you're on what um, forty something percent. Yeah, we're we're closing in there. I think we're at forty something. That's so cool. So um, tell people what Christy Pitts is about. Yeah, so Christy Pitts is a a true story in Canadian history, and it's a time where immigration was new. Canada was like very Anglo. It was like a very white country and the first wave of kind of non-Anglo immigrants are coming in and they're getting some big pushback. And these immigrants in Toronto, the city's like 7.2% Jewish, 2.8% Italian, but the rest of it, like 90% of it is very Anglo, very racist, very opposed to immigration. And as Hitler becomes the chancellor of Germany, a lot of these fascist movements start popping up in Canada. And this is a history we really brushed under the carpet. You know, we didn't want people to know about it. And this, these fascist sympathizers, they start swastika clubs. They've got the Zig Heil going. They're really embracing Nazism. And they came head to head with these young, tough immigrants. And they had a brawl that started in a baseball game. And it became a 10,000-person race riot in the streets of Toronto. 1933. Wow. That's so, the craziest true story. 10,000 people street Yeah. It's, it's a crazy story, especially the way Canada presents itself as a nation where it's always peaceful, everyone's friends, and there's a moose in every backyard. <laughs> so I think that it kind of challenges that idea that people are, by some process of where they live, immune to violence and immune to bigotry. I think it's like a constant force in the world. And this, this book's really looking at the idea of like, what's the best way to meet violence is it other violence is it talking is it a closed fist is it an olive branch and maybe that depends on the violence that you're meeting so i'm trying to make the book complicated to not oversimplify real events the story is fictional but the history is true so i'm just hoping to do it justice and i think that's such a it's interesting because it's it's a true historical event but the the topic is so current in how do you face violence, I think that's something that's always going to be relevant. And I don't think there'll ever be a clean answer to that question. Definitely, but isn't it interesting to explore the answer? Absolutely. So it's been a blast to write. I've been a nerd. I've been uh, at the archives in Ontario. I flew out there doing some interviews. And before I'd write chapters, I would read my way through the newspapers of the 1930s, as always living in that time 
to kind of ground myself in the history before I wrote the chapters. So did you get to interview people who were actually there? I got to interview one guy who was actually at the riots, and that was a fascinating experience. And it's also, I got to go through these testimonies of people that had been there and had kind of written down their experiences as well, so some first-hand documentation. And it's cool in that it's a real-lived history, so your memory of a situation may be completely at odds with the recorded history, and there's not often a clear way to see who's right. That's absolutely so, true. That's, that's a, a serious issue. I mean, yes. the 10,000 person brawl, it's, it's kind of beyond comprehension for me. I think it's, it's more comprehensible now in that we see this kind of mass street movements now that the population is so much denser and communication is, is so much more effective. Even looking at like the Arab Spring and people going out to Tahrir Square in Egypt and like those massive numbers, I think we're more acclimatized to that now. But at that time, when nobody had cell phones, most people didn't even have house phones. That's and you're just, what I was thinking. How did people know to get there? That's exactly it. Today you could get 10,000 people, you know, within, I don't know, half an hour. Sure. Using, you know, Facebook and, and yeah, whatever. You get it easy. But yeah. at the time, how do you even, oh, do you hear the shouts and go check it out? You know, and that's, I was talking to people who are a person who have been there and look at these uh, recorded stories and it's a mix. People came out because they knew where there was trouble. They started, you know, hearing about it through the grapevine. But if you were like a skinny guy in your peer group who couldn't throw a punch, he was a runner. He ran through the neighborhood screaming at the top of his lungs. He'd go into the pool halls where new guys were hanging out, the delis, and just like look for the big tough guys to bring back and draw into the streets with them. That's great. Wow. Different time to be alive. You would have fit right in there. You, I think would have been, it would have been a good time for me to be alive. You know, I think I would have worn it well. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been you against 10,000. And I think you would have come out winning. Yes. Those are big odds on that one. <laughs> okay, so we're going to link in the show notes um, to, Kickstarter, to the Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, because I think that's a story worth Absolutely reading. worth telling. Definitely, definitely worth telling, but definitely, I mean, but worth sharing. Yeah. Um, so, the looking really sharp. It's a really easy way to kind of dive right into the history. The illustration is brilliant. So, yeah, if people are interested, definitely link it up and they can check out a copy. And Absolutely. is Canoe Boys on sale? Canoe Boys is on sale through selected retail outlets across North America and Europe and Japan right now. You're going to send us. You're going to send us links, and we'll link. We'll link up yeah. all of that. And anyway, but um, I don't know how much you've had a chance to listen to our podcast. But basically, we're talking about how to empower people to create the life that they want. And we thought talking to somebody who just goes for whatever it is that they want could be really inspiring. And I wonder if you have anything to say about that. Yeah, I guess my, my conclusion is that being happy isn't a place you arrive at. It's kind of a perpetual journey. And don't, don't be too drawn into expectations. Like, life is going to always throw absurd surprises at you. And it's nice to be able to find joy in those quick left turns. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to canoe to Mexico, have a go. Absolutely. Buy your canoe, quit your job, do it. But don't expect the trip will look like anything because you have no idea what it will look like. And that's the same as you're climbing a mountain, you're starting a business, you're writing a comic book. 
that process is always going to be so unpredictable. You're going to sell yourself short if you try and predict it. That's amazing. The way you just put it sort of so clearly and simply. It's because he's a writer. No, but it's more than that. It's because how he actually sees things. That's just him saying, expressing how his mind works. Yeah. Do you understand? I mean, one of the things we have discussed in the past is that often the difference between expectations and reality is where you have the pitfall, the pitfall of um, disappointment and, you know, everything's gone horribly wrong. And so, you know, either adjusting our expectations in a way that you're sort of all right with them, with this as like a general plan, but not being devastated if it doesn't work. Um, but you're, but what, what Jamie's saying here is, you know, what are you expecting here? You don't know what you're going, what you're getting yourself into. So it's just, it's, it's, it's taking that to a different place. You know, what's such a great example of this is, uh, last time I was in town now, but we were going to meet up and you had a friend to have something pop up last minute and you went to go be a good friend and help out. And I went to uh, the shoot to have a beer and then kind of meet you afterwards. Yeah. And it was like a, a night we planned out and we're just like, no problem. We're just going to run with the new plans. And we found these uh, Haredi kids at night who are practicing Thai boxing in the park. I remember that. And I was like, this is so wild. Like these guys have ordered like their gear, obviously on the internet and they're learning from YouTube videos. They have no idea what's going on. And it's going to have like a complete language barrier. We're going to do like a, a Thai boxing lesson and have so much fun and like never see each other again but have that cool one-off experience and like that's that's a beautiful thing and that's like such an opportunity and if i had gone in kind of like surly or like oh this is what i was expecting i'd lose out on like a very cool night that's so true story of your life <laughs> it is go in with a smile and you never know what you're going to come out with yeah no it's uh it's the only way to travel brilliant i think that's wise words to leave us on Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thanks for inviting me. This was so much fun. For me, it was a very teaching experience because, you know, I've known you for, I would say, most of my life being related to you. And, um, you know, this is this has been very insightful for me to see how you take, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I think very highly of you and I always have done. This was interesting. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure.